Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. Welcome back to Women of Wild. I have some sad news to share with you today. Debbie, my friend and co-host, has tragically lost her father this past week. Please keep her and her family in your thoughts and prayers. I know this is especially hard coming so soon after her mother's death just over a year ago. She is taking some time off to take care of herself and do the things she needs to do. If you feel prompted, I think it would mean a lot if you would send an encouraging note through our email, Facebook, or Instagram accounts to Debbie. She loves this podcast and our listeners, and I think it would be very meaningful to her during this difficult time. In the meantime, I plan to keep things going each week with some different guests and interviews. Today, I asked a very special wild woman to come on today. She is someone that to me embodies wisdom, impact, love, and dignity in all areas of her life. She has been a gift to me the past three years, and I hope many more years to come. She started out as my coach trainer, then she became my coach, and now she is my friend. I have the privilege of working with her on her new amazing program that she has created this past couple of years called Nourish. I'm honored to introduce you to Jenny Turton. She is the founder of Nourish, a sacred space for restoring the feminine soul. Nourish is a sacred community offering group coaching, coach training, and membership programs, especially curated for women and their unique soul journeys and transformation needs. We exist to create a movement of women around the world dedicated to unveiling their most vibrant feminine selves in order to help bring healing and wholeness to humans, systems, and a planet that desperately needs a fresh approach to the way we do life. Jenny received her professional coaching certification and coach training certification through life-forming leadership coaching. She is a certified intimacy coach and certified Hendricks coach. Jenny has certified over 300 individuals globally to become coaches and has been in private practice for 12 years. We just began the first cohort of Nourish coaches about three weeks ago. And last week in our training, Jenny shared briefly how she has learned to process grief over the years in ways that have benefited her and healed her, I guess, in a more positive way. I don't know how to say it exactly. Grief is hard, but there we can make it harder on ourselves when we go through it and get stuck there. And grief is very personal, and the way we grieve and the length of time it lasts is different for each person. But she has some really great insights that I believe will help others that may be going through a time of grief. And if you're not going through one now, I feel like we all do at some point if we live long enough. After learning of Debbie's loss, I felt this would be a more appropriate topic for the week 
than going with what we had originally planned. I hope you stick around and listen. I believe there will be some great nuggets of wisdom to receive. I also want to thank Jenny for being here again. Not only did she agree to be interviewed by me last minute when we met Friday, I forgot to record our meeting. So she has (laughs) graciously offered to meet and share her story again with me. I trust there is something special that needed to be said that was not said last Friday or something that was said Friday that doesn't need to be said. So thank you for being here again, Jenny. (laughs) It is my pleasure. And I always say whenever anything interferes, especially technologically, I always get excited because that usually means what is about to take place has great significance. So I am just trusting that that is exactly the case in this situation. (laughs) Thank you for having me back a second time. I know. Thank you for for giving me two hours of your time instead of one. But I I was blessed by your story Friday. So I get to hear it twice, which is Mm. good for me. Maybe that's what I needed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me back, Sally. Thank you. Most of what we will talk about today centers around your journey with infertility and the losses of your two unborn children. So would you share with us just a little bit of that journey and how that was for you? Yes, absolutely. So three years ago, we began um, attempting to conceive. And because I come from a family that has all done very well at having babies and having them easily and quickly, it never dawned on me that it might be different for me and my husband. Um, So when after a year of trying, we were still unable to conceive naturally, the doctor suggested IVF. And so we did a round of IVF, um, but ended up with no usable embryos. And then strangely enough, three months later, lo and behold, with no intervention, we got pregnant. So it was uh, what I say is probably three of my favorite days of my life. Um, I was having just so much joy and surprise at this surprise pregnancy. Um, And my husband and I were just like over the moon excited to be parents. So I let myself start creating my Amazon wish list, and we told our whole family and called our closest friends and um, just were bubbling over with joy. And um, and then three days when we went back in, um, the doctor said that he didn't think that the pregnancy was most likely viable. We didn't even have a heart rate yet because we were only seven weeks pregnant. Um, so the heart rate would have appeared within the next week in most situations. Um, but instead, the doctor said that um, there was still no heart rate. And so, um, you know, very soon after my HCG began to decline instead of to rise, and we knew that the pregnancy was coming to an end um, just a few days after we found out it was beginning. So it was definitely, um, you know, a few of the highest highs of my life and then a very abrupt and very quick crash into a really low moment. Um My sister had miscarried, so I knew that it was possible. I'd had friends that miscarried, uh, but I don't think you're ever prepared, you know, for that news. Um, So, yeah, it was it was definitely a big moment for us. What was ironic was that just one month later, without any definitive attempt, we actually got pregnant a second time naturally. So the good news is, is we went from thinking we were infertile to realizing that we were definitely not infertile. Um, and this second time, of course, I went in with a lot more caution. I think anybody who has lost a baby has some trepidation if they find out they're pregnant again. Um, but this time we had a heart rate. 
And so the moment I heard the heartbeat, I I just felt like somehow this was different. Like there's an 80, I think it's 85% chance that the baby will come to full term uh, once there's a heartbeat. And so it just felt so much more promising even, you know, we had gotten further along in this pregnancy and, um, but I was still very nervous. And I remember a really definitive moment in prayer when I had to just let the Lord know that I was willing to receive this child. Um, and I just even kind of cried out to God and was like, I'm sorry that I've been like, I don't know if I want this baby or not, you know, but it's just, it's, it's hard to explain the level of mixed emotions that you have in situations like this. Um, but it was on Mother's Day that I was able to really just kind of psychologically and spiritually say, I, I received this baby. Um, and then it was just a couple days later that we went in and the heart rate was declining. And then we, um, you know, just very soon after that, were confirmed that we were losing this pregnancy as well. So um, that was shocking. And that was shocking because no one in my family has ever lost two babies. Um, and I didn't even know very many people who had lost two back-to-back pregnancies. Yeah. So as soon as you lose more than one in a row, kind of a red flag goes up in the medical system. There is a term used called recurrent miscarriage. And now there's um, a high alert for trying to determine what on earth could be going on. And so, uh, of course, that threw us into like a hypervigilance. And, and I don't know that we've ever fully come out of that, to be completely frank. But um yeah, it was, I remember the day that we got the news from the doctor about the second baby, we're actually at the ocean. And there was something like so reassuring about just kind of being able to cry out into the waves, um, you know, as our heart processed the news. So it was definitely not the journey we expected. I think that's really hard, too, when it's extreme highs and lows emotionally. Yes. And yes. one of the posts I remember was you had some nicknames for your babies, and I'll let you share that in a minute, but you were sharing on Facebook the the whole story, I guess, of the first pregnancy where the excitement and then the disappointment and the grief, and very publicly. And I thought that was such a powerful thing because so many, well, I mean, our women are told to just keep quiet for three months in case... I guess after three months, you have a better chance of the baby coming to terms. But um, but then you're isolated in that pain. And stepping yeah. out of that isolation was a big healing part for you. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you did it differently. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we are encouraged, of course, to wait until we get through the first trimester because there are... Um, you know, so many things that can go wrong in that first three months. And so uh, we were just so excited with the first baby. There was no way we could imagine containing that excitement. And so we did talk about, you know, should we wait or not? And we went ahead and decided, you know, like, it just, it was such a relief to know we could get pregnant that we just felt like we were exploding with so much gratitude that we were not infertile, um, that we just wanted to proclaim it. And so we just told everyone. And those were some of the most beautiful moments. That's part of what made those first three days so memorable and so beautiful in my mind is the the tears of joy that were shed by so many people for us having, you know, tried for so long and having waited for so long to even try. So um, I don't regret for a moment those phone calls, those Zoom calls. It was during COVID. So I think it was also a special um, 
bright light for people in a really difficult time. And, um, and then, you know, having to let people know a few days later, um, I can understand why some people wouldn't want to have to keep spreading the word about difficult news. But the flip side of that is that there were that many more people to console us and to send notes of compassion and understanding. Um, and so then when we got pregnant the second time, of course, then you're really concerned about should we share any news yet? But again, I just felt like I'm um, over the age of 35. And so it just felt like it's such a miracle to be allowed to be pregnant, even to become pregnant, that again, we just thought, you know, we don't want to hide this news. And this is a new life and we want to acknowledge it. And that felt really you know, significant and important to me. We don't know how long. And I remember one of my dearest childhood friends, her name is Sherry. I remember her saying to me, none of us know how long our children will be with us, whether it will be for a day in the womb or for a year outside of the womb or for a lifetime. And so she said, I just have practiced gratitude for every day that I get with my children. And I really took this to heart because Sherry personally had suffered five miscarriages. She has five children living, uh, but she had also lost five. And so um, I remembered that and I thought, you know what, <laughs> like, we're just going to celebrate this life. We're going to celebrate this baby. And if I have to make another announcement in three days, I will, you know, but I, I wanted people to know that this child had existed, that this little, you know, seed in my womb was, <laughs> had made its presence known on the planet, um, even if it was just inside my body. And so we did, we shared the news and um, we, we had longer this time we had, I think it was like 10 days before we found out that the heart rate was slowing. And so we had longer to be in joy, um, and also longer to be in anxiety, which I think any mom who's, you know, suffered multiple miscarriages understands that pregnancy was very different the second time for me than the first time. Um, and it was very different because there's not a day that went by that I didn't wonder if it would be my last day being pregnant. And that's something that changed for me completely in the first pregnancy. There was zero concern or thought about whether this baby would make it or not. There was an assumption it would. With the second pregnancy, there was not a day that went by that I assumed this baby would survive. And that made each day very precious, but it also brought in an overarching anxiety that uh, from all the moms I've talked to have lost more than one. It is a very different ambiance for a pregnancy. And so um, that pregnancy took us two months to release fully, even after baby was gone. Um, I chose not to do a DNC. I chose not to do the abortion pill. Um, not that there's anything wrong with either of those routes, but for me personally, I have a very sensitive system. And so I did some acupuncture and I did um, some herbal treatments and I did eventually release the baby fully. Um, but it was it was a longer period of time to have to go through the process and to be connected to the grief in the morning. And so um, it looked very different and felt very different than the first one. The first one was early enough that there was just not a lot physically that I had to endure. The second one was a much bigger process and it was just a week difference in terms of length of pregnancy. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I feel like I experienced two very different forms of grief and it helped me to understand too that even two simultaneous pregnancies back to back at almost the same length of time, grief can look so completely different just even in those two situations. 
And so it just helped me to understand the nuances that come with every single person who goes through grief and every single loss and how different those losses can impact us. I would love for you to share a little bit about the nicknames (laughs) of these babies and the rituals that each of them had that helped you work through the grief because that was such a, I found those very touching stories that you shared with me Friday. And I think other people would love to hear them too, but they were very healing for you, but very unique and special to each one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I had um, possible names picked out for my children. Um, And yet when I conceived these two babies, neither one of those names came to mind. I think because we were never far enough along to know the gender Um, I just remember looking at one of the baby apps and seeing that my first baby was the size of a poppy seed at the moment that I think it was six or seven weeks along. And so I just kind of lovingly began to refer to the baby as poppy seed. Um, And then as we realized we were losing poppy seed, it kind of became beautiful and significant because being in California, obviously the poppy is a very, um, I think it's our state flower, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but it's everywhere. We have poppies everywhere on artwork, on postcards, all along the highway, you know, just anywhere you could possibly look. And so I didn't realize what a significant symbol we had chosen, Um, but it just became so beautiful over the next year or two. And even to this day, I don't think I'll ever look at a poppy the same. Um, But when we lost that baby, we bought some poppy seeds and we um, planted an entire garden, huge garden full of poppy seeds and my husband and I played uh, this beautiful lullaby music that we had hoped to play for this child when he or she was born. And um, we went outside and just slowly dug up the earth and, and scattered the seeds and just watered them with our tears, you know, um, and then watched as those seeds grew into flowers over the next months and uh, over the next year just began to notice the poppies everywhere. It's funny how our brains tune in and then we see things we would never see. I found streets named Poppy and stores named Poppy. And I mean, just everywhere I looked, poppies were appearing. And um, and so it was just, it was a very beautiful ritual. I felt very drawn to the earth during my losses um, in a way I'd never had. I've never been a big gardener. I've never been a big outdoorsy kind of person. Um, and yet during that time, I just could not get enough of having my hands in the soil, I would go out and lay on the ground physically and just like soak up the support of the earth and the the warmth of the ground and go to the beach and just like dig myself into the sand and just soak up the sun and the sand, hear the water. Um, It was one of the most comforting things to me. It became a ritual of sort for me just to be near the planet. And I don't know why, if it's subconscious or conscious, but like as a mother, I just found that I was being so comforted in a way for the first time in my life by this, you know, what some people would call Mother Earth. Um, and so, yeah, that that was the ritual we did for our first baby was we planted. Um, and even when we moved from that home, because we were renting, our landlords lovingly transferred some of the poppies into a plant, you know, potted plant for us to take with us to our new home. So have you planted those? Not yet, actually. And so I'm very excited to do that and find just the right spot here at our new house for those. 
So, but the nice part is, is it's not limited to those. They're everywhere. <laughs> and I feel like so in some way, our, the memory of our baby is everywhere, which is beautiful. That's special. Yes. And then your second baby was called Baby Bird. Little Bird. Yes. Little Bird. Little Bird. So, and that, there's a much longer story to it. But in essence, just two days before we found out we were pregnant with that baby, we were out at a local pizza place in Santa Barbara where we live. And um, this pizza place is outdoors. It's very loud. It's very crowded. And we sat down at a table waiting for our pizza to be delivered to us. And all of a sudden, I see something moving at my feet. And I look down and there is this little, tiny, sweet, what looked like almost a newborn baby bird. And I'm thinking, what on earth is he doing here in the middle of the city, in the middle of this very loud, very noisy urban environment? And I'm looking around frantically for the mom and I don't see it. And so, of course, um, you know, I didn't realize I probably already had pregnancy hormones rearing in my body, <laughs> but I'm like frantically trying to figure out how I can use a napkin or something so I don't touch the bird and help get it to safety somewhere because it was trying desperately to get under the fence to what I'm assuming was back to its family. Um, and so I finally just got a napkin and scooped it up and carried it around to the, the tree on the other side of the fence where I think it was maybe trying to go. Um, but that encounter, it was so crazy to me because there was something so maternal and so um, vulnerable about that encounter with that little bird. And then just two days later, we found out we were pregnant again. And so we ended up calling this one, second one little bird through the whole pregnancy. Um, and again, like we didn't have a ritual quite like the one we had um, with poppy seed. But what ended up happening as a, as a dear, sweet friend of mine sent me a bird feeder um, as a gift, knowing that that we had called this baby little bird. And that bird feeder hangs outside my kitchen window to this day and draws just these beautiful families of birds that I get to watch. And often it's the same family that comes season after season. So it just feels like it's this constant visual reminder to me personally of the significance of family and what that means. And so just having those names, having them be connected to nature and then being able to see every time I see a poppy, every time I see a bird to be reminded of these little lives um, has been very beautiful for me. I love that. And the fact that instead of trying to push the memory away, you've kept them alive in some way. And I know, again, that's a personal thing, but I, yes. I think it honors their lives in a way that helps you heal. Yeah. Um, for, me, for me, it felt very important. Um, I had done something called family constellation, which is a type of therapy. Um, and in that, I learned the significance of honoring the placeholder for each person in a family. And the way that they designate that is through the, the symbolism of a constellation, that everyone born or not born into the family has a place in that constellation. And that even if they pass, their star still remains. And that became really important to me in my journey after I did that therapeutic work. And so I really took seriously this idea that these two children were my first two children. And they had the first two stars in the constellation after me and my husband. And that there's something very helpful and supportive about honoring their memory through acknowledgement of their existence in the form of a star in this, in our family's system. And so, um, it feels joyful for me to be able to know that their lives are acknowledged and that they're significant 
and that they always will have a place in our family. And so for me, that is deeply comforting. And someday to be able to tell the children that I have that are born into our family on this earth, you know, that there were siblings that came before them that just never embodied on this planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, It feels important to me that even, you know, my future children know that they were not the first. They might be the first born into this world, but they were not the first conceived. Yeah. I think that's really special. I loved, again, what you shared with me about the massage that you got and how the woman um, just cared for you that you went to. And I'd love for you to share that that story and what she said to you. Yeah. Yeah, I would say part of the rituals that I did engage in that helped me move through my grief were in addition to having a name for each baby and, um, you know, kind of publicly commemorating their lives Uh, through Facebook announcements and through calling of friends and family, and then eventually through these kind of ceremonial acts afterwards. In addition to those experiences and then just kind of being with nature itself, I felt like I knew for me that the way that I can move through grief the best is if I get my body fully engaged in the grief process. Um, And so some of the things that I did One of them was to get a postnatal massage as I was going through the miscarriages. Um, You know, some of the things we did, we walked the beach, I laid on the ground, um, I did acupuncture, I went to yoga classes, just seeking anything that I could to stay connected to my body because I had seen the danger of what can happen if we try to disconnect from the source of the pain. And I knew that that kind of distancing can create even more problems for me personally. And so as much as being in pain is not fun, I knew that I wanted to stay connected to the pain long enough to move through it. And so I uh, found a woman who specialized in pre and postnatal massages and uh, drove almost 45 minutes to meet with her. She saw me in the spur of the moment. She had no op, you know, no open spots, but because of the situation, chose to make time for me, which I was so grateful for. And um, it was it was very profound to me that she had during COVID, of course, she had her massage table set up outside in nature, and her backyard happened to draw just this incredibly large number of birds. Even she said she didn't even understand why or how, but it was like some of the loudest birds. <laughs> I mean, just, it was like a sanctuary. Uh-huh. They were singing all together at once, like in this giant chorus. And so I climbed up on her massage table and I'm laying and feeling the cool breeze and hearing the birds singing and um, just having her then come. And she was so gentle with her touch and so compassionately wired to minister to women's bodies when they're pregnant or right after they've lost or given birth. And um, she put her hands on me and she just gently placed her hands on my heart and just tuned into my body. And um, I see her all of a sudden, her eyes just popped open wide. And I see this look of surprise cross her face and she says to me, well done. And I remember just being like, what is she talking about? (laughs) And she said, you kept your heart open right through all this. Well done. And I remember the sense of surprise just flooding my body because I had specifically prayed for that. Mm 
I knew that my tendency would be like for all of us to shut down, to coil in and to self-protect and to uh, build up my protective walls of defenses. But I also know that those same walls that seek to try to protect us are the same walls that keep out new life, new joy, new hope, new possibility. And I knew that if I was going to make it through these two back-to-back losses, I was going to need all the life and love I could get. And so I just kept asking God, please help me keep my heart open. Please help me not shut down again, because I'd been through another major loss about 10 years prior to this. And um, it had flattened me so badly that I was not myself fully for over a decade. I was moving forward, but I was um, a greatly diminished version of me. And so I think because of that experience and because of how um, sensitively I'm wired and how I watched how grief could just destroy me, I knew that if I didn't do something different, the loss of two back-to-back pregnancies could be enough to take me out emotionally for life. And so I think it was out of that place of self-awareness that I kind of desperately cried out for that help. And so to have her look at me as someone who didn't know me, who had never even worked on me before, and to have her say those words to me, um, it was deeply significant for me. And I just felt incredible, incredible gratitude. Wow. I just love that because that's such a danger in grief. It's so hard to feel the pain, but we have, the pain doesn't leave us. No. We're going to feel it one way or another. And uh, I just love, that's so touching that she, it's such a testament to our bodies and how we hold things in our bodies that she could know that your heart was open. Well, and that's it. Like she's, her gift is, you know, to be able to tune in sensation wise at that level to someone else's energetic body. Mm -hmm. And that's why it was so shocking to me is like, We didn't have to talk. We didn't have to do a therapeutic session. (laughs) She could just literally put her hands an inch away from my chest and feel the difference. And I was like blown away by that, you know, really. And it helped me understand like how significant that one decision is. Do we, do we close or do we open? Do we dare to feel the pain or do we try to block it and save ourselves from it? And um, I had learned a lot between the first time I went through a serious loss and then when I lost these babies, I had learned a whole lot about the understanding of emotions and that there's a frequency attached to them and that there's their energy. They're meant to move through our bodies, whether it's joy or sadness, anger, fear, delight, uh, bliss. These are experiences that are energetic frequencies that are meant to literally flow right through our nervous system. And the problem is not in having any of the emotional experiences. The problem is as if we get stuck in any of them. And so I did not want to get stuck again. I knew that grief was hard enough, but being stuck in it was miserable. <laughs> and yeah. so I knew that for me, movement was one of the things that I had done. Um, I had learned to do that helped me move very significant emotions through my body so that they didn't stay in my body in a way that was unhelpful. And that's where, like I said, the yoga came in, dance came in, massage, acupuncture, breath work. um, I mean, just anything I could think of. And it also felt so good to me 
to extend kindness to my body at a time where there was, of course, a part of me very frustrated with my body. Why couldn't you carry these children to full term? Why couldn't you? You know, so many unanswered questions. And I felt myself tempted to be angry at my my body for failing me. And instead being able to show kindness to my body and help it through this incredible process of like both conceiving, carrying life, growing life, and then releasing life. I mean, that's a lot to go through in eight short weeks, you know? Yeah. So it felt good to be able to be an advocate for my body instead of just making it the enemy. I love that because I know people who struggle with that and I, that's an important thing to hear and I know that's helped you and will help you as you continue. And this, the story isn't over, you know, you're still in the process and we're praying for these babies that will be born. And uh, definitely. And I know we've got to wrap up soon, but is there any last thoughts you have maybe to say to the woman who, is still stuck in grief. Yeah. I think just being very gracious to ourselves, there is no timeline and there is no format for these things. We don't ask for them. It's the the experience none of us want. Um, but I think like for me, the game-changing differences were to realize that grief is a, an, a process that I have the privilege of interacting with. It is not just something being done to me. And I remember hearing someone talk about the difference between um, going through something difficult and suffering. Mm. And this idea that suffering is what we do and say to ourselves when we're going through something difficult. And it adds this whole dimension of additional grief (laughs) or additional pain. And so I just remember thinking to myself, like, the one thing that I don't want to do is add more to my suffering than is already being given to me. I don't want to make it more complex or more troubling than it needs to be. It's enough of its own to go through grief without making it mean even more hardship. And so I think being able to engage with it, know that I have a role, that I get to play in it, that I'm an interactive participant, that it is an energy, and that I can evolve with it. And I'll never stop remembering or missing these children and still the waves of grief come and sometimes overtake me at very unexpected moments but it's a very empowering thing to feel like I I have a role that I play even as grief almost as if it's another person is personified and playing this role that I don't get to control and so it's more for me now of a dance than it was before before it felt like an assault It felt like something being done to me that I had no control over and that I never knew if it was going to end or when it would begin or where it would show up. And I felt very helpless. And I would say that, that I invite people who are going through grief to allow themselves to become active and willing participants. We can't make the thing that caused the grief go away, but we do get to have a say in how we journey through this. And For me, reaching out towards community, letting people into my journey was a game changer. I cannot even tell you how many women, mostly all of whom had lost children themselves, wrote to me or sent me gifts after the loss of each baby. 
And each of those gifts, because I knew it represented a life they had lost, was so meaningful. There was no words even needed between us because I knew that we understood what we had been through. And yeah. so uh, I had like an entire like memory shelf that I created of gifts from these individuals. Mm-hmm. So being able to, to, you know, interact with grief, get our community involved, allow people who understand the pain to speak into our lives, um, connecting with nature, creating our own rituals and doing body work. I mean, these are the things that helped me. I invite women, find the things that help you. It may look completely different but you know yourself and you know what helps you in difficult times and how can you leverage that? How can you use that? I think the only other thing that's coming to me is I remember there were two very distinctive moments that I shared with creator during that season. Um, And I don't often say like that I would hear from God in like an audible way. Um, But during those losses, there were two times that I very much feel that I did. And The first time was right after I lost baby one, and it was just this beautiful, beautiful, warm February night in Santa Barbara. I was standing outside and looking up at the stars, and it was a a windy, blustery, but almost tropical type night. And my hair, I remember, was just blowing wildly all around my face, and the stars were shining much, much brighter than normal. And as I looked up at them, I just remember feeling that sense of awe of just the wildness of nature. And I heard a voice say to me, life is beautiful and it is brutal. And there is nothing you can do to save yourself. And this wave of relief just washed over my body. I think for the first time in my life, I digested that there wasn't a way I could be perfect enough or do things right enough to avoid grief, loss, and suffering. And I had flashes of National Geographic movies going through my head with beautiful deers bounding through the woods and then this cheetah coming out and eating it and just realizing that the only way to receive the full beauty of life is to also be willing to receive the full brutality of life and that that is what it means to be human. The second time that I heard from God, I was, it was right after the loss of the second child. And I remember that I had this very deep urge to just curl up in the fetal position on the ground and just not get up. I was like, what's the point? Like, what is the point? And it was a deep, deep sense of hopelessness that I think most people who have been through a serious loss can understand. And as I lay there on the ground in the fetal position, I remember realizing in that moment that I absolutely could just stay there. And I wouldn't have any reason to get up and it would get increasingly harder to find that reason. Hmm. And then I remember hearing this still small voice say to me, you can either stay here in this pain and close out life or you can stand up and do the opposite and ask that life come in. And it is the only way that you're going to get medicine to your soul. It is the only way that you're going to begin to heal. If you allow every single drop of life, of love, of hope 
to come in at this exact moment when everything in you just wants to curl up and block it all out. And so I knew that that voice was very accurate. And I realized I had a decision to make in that moment. And as much as part of me didn't want to move forward and didn't want to be receptive to life ever again, I remember just starting little by little to just choose moment by moment to look for where do I see life? I would see it in a flower. I would see it in an animal. I would hear it in a voice when my grandma would call or I would see it uh, you know, in, in a, an act of kindness from a neighbor. And I remember starting to consciously allow every one of those encounters to hit my, my emotional system and my nervous system like the medicine that it was. And I just began to drink and drink and drink and drink. And I didn't worry about where it came from or what it was. And I also realized I couldn't, I couldn't be choosy. I wanted that medicine to come in the form of a baby. And I had to be willing to surrender my ego and say, I'll just take it from anywhere. I'll take it from anywhere that it's willing to come. And as I did that, the medicine began to pour in and rejuvenate my heart and bring back hope and bring back life and vitality. And that's when I realized that I had landed on something that I could hold with me for the rest of my life, that any grief that hit me, I now had a way and a process for moving through it. So my heart goes out to everyone listening and to every woman who um, hears this, who has lost a child and um, just know that, that we're with you and that you get to find your way through this grief. And we're here cheering you on every step of the way. Thank you so much, Jenny. That's a beautiful story and a courageous story. It takes courage to walk through grief in that way. And I'm so glad for your words of wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. And until next time, stay wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode...